we serve a great God. Yes, we do. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. In fact, when cities didn't have lights and things were more dark, when the sun set, you could see a whole lot more of the universe, the stars and the galaxies up in the heavens above. And you could really see the heavens declare the glory of God. And since we've had cities and all these lights, it just kind of hides it from us. And ever since man has just been focused at his feet, one step after another, forgetting to look on the heavens and remember that there's a great big God out there who made it all. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated for now. I'd like uh, Nathan to uh, uh, take these handouts and pass them out. I'd like every adult to get one of these handouts. And if you're needing a pen, I hope you have a pen. If you don't have a pen, ta-da, we have one for you. So please take this handout and uh, fill in the blanks as uh, we go with the presentation. Tonight, I will be starting a new series on the basics of Christianity. And uh, tonight, we'll start with why, as Christians, we believe in God. Hallelujah. Now, that is a wonderful map, up to date, of the universe. And every one of those tiny, shiny spots you see on that cardboard is a galaxy. One galaxy, and a galaxy contains billions of suns. Not one like ours, billions of suns. We call them stars. This little spiral galaxy down here is our galaxy that we live in. This is our galaxy, the Milky Way. And this is our sun here, right there. That's where we are on this arm of this galaxy, the spiral galaxy. And uh, our solar system is right around this sun at that point. This far away from the center of our Milky Way galaxy. And that's several million light years away to the center, meaning it takes a million plus years to travel at the speed of light just to get to the center. And there are, as you see in these upper lights here, billions of these over here in the rest of the universe. And we don't even know how far stretches. As far as we know, this is the edge of the universe with our telescopes and from the Hubble. And beyond, they say it's like, uh, what is it, 13.7? 13.7 billion light years away into the distance. And I was, we just shot up another telescope, uh, the most expensive one, $10 billion. The largest telescopic lens ever designed and created by man. And we shot it up in the, in, the, in the universe, and we shot it way past the Earth because the Earth is so bright. And some of these other planets are so bright, reflecting the light of the sun. And we're putting it behind a planet where it's dark, and they can see further and, and, and better and with a greater scope than ever before as to where the universe ends or how far it stretches. As it is right now with the previous telescopes, we can see it can go 13.7 billion, billion light years. That means if you could travel the speed of light, you know how fast light travels. 186,000 miles per second. We have never reached that speed. And Einstein said we never will because of his equation was E equals mc squared, meaning that energy equals velocity squared, which means that if you're sitting on that rocket ship that goes the speed of light, your mass just vaporizes. That was why Einstein said we will never, ever reach the speed of light. Because if we do, the moment we reach 100% the speed of light, we will vaporize and turn into energy. The beautiful thing about the galaxy and the world of God is that all the energy and mass, all the matter, is in perfect balance. It's equal amount of energy and matter. So whenever matter burns up, it turns into energy. There's always an equilibrium throughout the entire universe. Oh, our God is so big. What a mighty God we serve. And me, I hold the whole world in my hand. I got the whole world in my hand. I'll, I'll get back to this later. Amen. But praise the Lord. We're starting 
outright. Mm, hallelujah. I feel inspiration. Praise God. I want to start with a scripture. If you stand one more time with me, I deeply appreciate it. We'll go to the book of Isaiah. I've got to read two scriptures. Isaiah 43, 10 and 11. Isaiah says, God speaking through him, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed. Neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. He said, I, I am God alone. And there was no God formed, and neither shall there after me. Then along with that in Isaiah 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there's none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Hallelujah. I want to talk to you tonight a little bit in this first session on why we believe in God. Why we believe in God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word that you have given us to learn about you and about your world that you made. And our place in it and our purpose, your mission in us, Lord. Bless this church, bless this assembly, and open our understanding. Indeed, we may be enlightened by it. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This first lesson of seven will focus on belief in God, the basic reason why we believe in God as a supreme being. The next installment will focus on the Christian religion in general, and uh, the apostolic message and how Christianity differs from all other religions in the world. We'll do a little comparative uh, religion and, and, and analysis. Not very deep in any of these subjects, to say the least. We don't have that much time for that kind of analysis. We're just going to touch on the highlights. This is just going to be a cursory overview of these subjects and not at all uh, a, a deep analysis. And then we're going to look at the Bible on, at the third installment, looking at uh, uh, how it was written and how it came to be in its present form and, and why I believe that it is a revelation uh, by God given to man. Then we're going to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ as the central figure of the Bible and what that means to us and particularly the church. Amen. Then we'll focus on the subject of salvation. That'll be installment number five. We'll review the main idea of what the Bible teaches about salvation and why that is important. Then we'll talk about the church in lesson six. We'll examine what Jesus and the apostles say about the church and how the Bible describes it as it is supposed to be. And then the last one will be on Christian living, on our, our description of, of how uh, our lifestyle and our purpose for our lives is to be in harmony with the Word of God. Amen. Again, I said none of these subjects will be uh, uh, really uh, exhaustive in its nature. It will be a summary, if anything else. And each of these subjects obviously can take years to study. There have been thousands of books written on many of these subjects, of these seven subjects in particular, uh, and, and it would take a lifetime, and even that wouldn't be enough. Uh, to, to cover uh, this, these subjects adequately. But we do have the Word of God, and it's really to give you a synopsis, give you the basics for this, to, to reinforce what we know, what we believe, and maybe to articulate it better to somebody else, particularly people in the, in the darkened world who really don't know God. And uh, we, uh, on the other hand, know who He is, but we, in a sense, may be able to articulate better without the Bible why we believe that there's a God. And that's really what this first lesson uh, focuses on. Most people in the world today really believe only what their parents or their grandparents believe. And so I would encourage you to follow along the lesson plan here because uh, there are some fill-in-the-blanks and you may miss something. So I hope everybody's got a pen. If you don't, raise your hand. We can still get you one. 
There's two back there that needs them. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Sister Tonda, you're getting one? I think maybe Sister Tonda can get some from back there. If you don't have any, you're talking about papers or pens? Paper? We're all good. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But no, really, most people believe what they caught from their grandparents and from their parents. Uh, and that may not always be right. May not be the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. John 7, 38, Jesus said, He that believeth on me as the Scripture hath said. Out of his belly, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And he spoke that of the Holy Ghost. But he said, he that believeth on me as the scripture hath said. That's important. Because it means that our faith, our belief in God has to be in harmony with the revealed scripture, the Bible, the word of God. There are many believers in the world. Many people have faith, but not in the right thing. And so it's important for us to understand from the Word of God uh, why we believe what we believe and to make sure that our, that our faith system aligns in harmony with Scripture. And as we examine this topic more objectively among all people on the earth, we'll find that there are many ideas that people espouse about God. One is, obviously, that, uh, that there is no God. That life is all there is. There are those who kind of fall in between the line, the agnostics, where they say, you know, I don't know if there is God, and I can't prove it, but I can't prove that there isn't one. So I'm just kind of in between. I, you know, I don't believe, and I don't, don't not believe. That's basically agnostics. And secular, if you please. And we'll talk about that in a moment anyway, at least one example of them. But... One group of people said there's no God. And then there's others who believe that there are many gods, small g, that gods are everywhere. And uh, it's, it's in nature and it's in animals and, and all these things, pantheism and polytheism, more than one God. It's in nature and beyond nature. And then three, still there are others like us who believe that there's only one God and that he is supreme over all things, including people. He is God, and none else beside him is the only supreme, wise, true God, omnipotent, meaning all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, hallelujah, omnipresent, meaning everywhere present at the same time. That's the kind of God that we believe in. And Christians, particularly us, believe and derive their conclusions about God from three main sources. Three main sources. One is human reasoning. Now, it's not that by human reasoning, God, uh, that man came up with the idea of God. No such thing. I will see why in a moment. Human reasoning, though deductive reasoning, helps us to affirm the fact that there's a God when we look at the universe. And then the second source is the Bible. And the third source of where Christians base their beliefs and derive their conclusions about God is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ. Human reasoning, the Bible, and Jesus Christ. Now, the existence of God and human reasoning, uh, we see that humans for ever have asked themselves about the existence of God. And from the observation of the universe around them and by deductive reasoning, you know, which means putting things together, as deduction, deducting uh, the things that they see, man saw that the existence of God was quite evident. The very first verse of the Bible introduces God as the creator of the universe and everything in it. In fact, the Bible does not try to prove that there's a God. It assumes that there is a God, that he exists, and his existence is fundamental. It's not arbitrary. <clears throat> it's not a position of argument in the Bible. God is God. He's there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No ifs or buts about it. So the Bible assumes 
the existence of God and that he reigns supreme. And then through observation by man and reflecting on that observation, we can discover many logical reasons that compel us to believe in God. And the Bible is also clear on this. And so there are several uh, steps in, in, in areas of, of human reasoning whereby we affirm our faith in God. One is cosmology, the study of the universe. It's the study of planets and so on, the physical world around us. And there is in the study of that uh, uh, an argument called the first, the first cause argument. Everybody say first cause. It's creation itself bearing witness to the fact that there's an intelligent, omnipotent, loving creator. Psalms 19 verse 1 through 4 says, in the King James Version, then I'll read the NLT on the top for you. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter a speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech, no language, where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out throughout the earth, and their worlds, words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. New Living Translation says this, The heavens tell the glory of God. The skies display His marvelous craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make Him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is silent in the skies. Yet, yet, their message has gone out to all the earth and their words to all the world. And Paul, the apostle in Romans chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, says it this way. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, he said, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, meaning his eternal power and his Godhead, are seen in the things around us and all that he did. The glory, the majesty, the power that he took to create it and the expanse of it, how big it is in comparison to us and our world. And so that we are without excuse. And Paul, speaking of the Gentiles, non-Jewish people who didn't have a Bible given to them like the Jewish people did. No one is without excuse because the heavens declare the glory of God. And they preach that there's somebody bigger and greater than we are. And it just didn't happen by chance. That was the deductive reasoning of all of the ages through centuries and thousands of years. There can only be three explanations for the existence of the universe. One, that it has always existed. In other words, it's an eternal universe. It's always been here and always will be. And then the second uh, explanation says that it came to existence by its own power. That it's a self-creating universe. Imagine that. Inanimate matter means not alive. Bringing forth activity and life without any kind of greater intelligence or design or in intervention. But still they believe that it came to existence by its own power. And thirdly, of course, there's the other opinion and explanation, that is that God created it. God created it. Now, accepting, if you really think about it, any one of these three options requires faith. Doesn't it? I mean, it requires faith to believe that it always existed. You can't prove it. Even scientists look at the universe and say, well... You know, our universe has, at least the solar system, say, it's been around for four and a half billion years. How can you prove that? Uh, or the second option, it came to existence by its own power. How can you prove that scientifically that it did happen that way? It requires faith. And then, of course, finally, God created it. Obviously, it requires faith. And this is why... Uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, uh, verse 6, hallelujah, tells us 
but without faith. No, let me go back to verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. At least scripture tells you right away that everything we see was not made from existing material. And that the universe is not self-creating. It's God who spoke it in existence. By the word, the worlds were framed. But the worlds were framed by the word of God. Hallelujah. And it came to being when it says, let there be. Praise the Lord. Now, again, accepting any of these three options, it requires faith. And it really transcends scientific thought and a scientific proof. But in every case, there is a cause. In every effect, there's a cause. In other words, uh, we talk about the creation of the universe. There has to be something that causes the latest uh, idea, theory by scientists is that, is that there's the Big Bang. I know I saw the report when, uh, when they talked about this uh, new telescope being sent out and, and they interviewed the scientists and they said, why are you so excited about that? Well, because now we are going to get to see how the universe formed. You know, we had the Big Bang and everything went every which way and we're going to see how long it would happen and, and we'll probably get to see more of the secrets of how the universe were formed. That may be true. God may have used the Big Bang. I don't know. I, the Bible doesn't indicate so. Nevertheless, what caused the big explosion? In order for there to be an explosion, there has to be a cause. And that's why I brought this globe out. See, I'd say this is floating around. This thing is just, thank you. See, this sit, sitting by itself. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't move unless there's some kind of cause to make it move. And so it's stationary. It exists. But if I go, see, that was a cause and an effect. There is motion. Something happens because something caused it to happen. That's the same thing with the universe and the way God created things. Hallelujah. There has to be a cause. And deductive reasoning tells us, uh, as we see the universe in motion around us and all these galaxies rapidly speeding away from a center, so-called, that it was put into motion by something that has a cause. And what is that one big cause that can cause, uh, and then that much matter spewing all out into the empty space that we can't even measure? That we can't even travel through because our life isn't long enough. So every effect has a cause. So the question is who or what has caused the world to come in existence? And again, I mentioned the most recently scientists believe there's a, uh, there was a big bang and a cosmic explosion years ago, but they can't explain you know, what, what was that, that cause. Hallelujah. So the first cause argument says that a being greater and more complex than the universe, meaning God, caused the Big Bang and or set the creation of the world into motion. I don't particularly buy 100% the Big Bang. I don't. It seems like it was so, but I can't prove one way or another. All I know is God spoke in existence, and if it began with the Big Bang, let it be. I don't care, but I know who caused it. <laughs> I know who caused it, and he had designed, and we'll get into that other aspect of the next, hallelujah. So for me and for Christians, it's more plausible to believe in an intelligent, eternal, omnipotent creator rather than believing in internal existence or self-creative power of planets and, and matter in the universe. It's easier and it's more plausible, more believable, more logical to believe that it was created by somebody like God. Now besides the uh, cause and effect, the uh, first cause, there's also the argument from design. They're called teleology. You have that in your notes. The argument from design, teleology, the doctrine or the study of design and purpose in the material world. The order and design of the universe requires the existence of a designer. If you see the way things are set up, our, our, our solar system, 
our distance from the sun, the earth exactly at the right place, spinning at the right speed. Uh, it has gravity, it has temperature, it has year-round. You know, everything we need, everything is just right. There's design for that. And, uh, and so it's, it's incredibly complex when you think about it all. All the plants and animals and human beings and, and all the smaller, tiny, single-cell uh, uh, amoebas and, and, and all the more complex beings. I mean, think about the billions of genes that, are, that, that make us up as who we are as people. Think about our, our, our circulatory system, our, our skeletal system, our, our endocrine system. You think about our, our, our uh, my word, our, our eyes and, and our nervous system. You're going down the line. All these systems in one body working together in harmony. And then you look at the outer universe. So you look at how stars are set up in the galaxies, like the, the star, the, the spiral galaxy. Uh, in universe. Many of them. And some, the nebulous and some, uh, the elliptical galaxies, the three different types of galaxies in the universe. It's all in order. All of them are one or three of the other. No other kind. There's predictability. There's, uh, there's, there's immense complexity with gravity and all these things. My word. In immensely complex. How about the sun? How is it that the sun has been shining for thousands of years but has never used up its energy. I mean, you know, it's beyond, uh, you know, our capacity to, to really conceive all that. So in other words, only a complex mind could have conceived and created a complex world like this. That's reasonable thinking. That's logical thinking. And that compels us to believe in that intelligent mind and that God. And the force of this argument uh, is really best illustrated by the story of a man by the name of Robert Ingersoll. He was a noted agnostic. In fact, he was born in 1833, died in 1899. He was an attorney and a secularist, a very strong secularist. He barnstormed through the United States from New York to all over the country, uh, telling people to turn away from this biblical belief, to, to turn away from religion and, and just be secular. You know, there's no way you can prove God and this now the modern age and we should be turning to, you know, more, more uh, uh, science and, and logical thinking rather than faith and, and other religious systems. And this man in New York, a New York attorney, he went to the New York planetarium. And there at the New York planetarium, he went in and he saw a scale model of the solar system. And it was the sun in the middle and all the other nine planets revolving around it. You could turn on the crank and all the planets revolved around it at the right time and in tandem. And, and as he marveled at it, he says, wow, you know. And the, the museum director was there. He says, wow, where'd you get this? Where'd it come from? He said, he took the opportunity to really make him think. Nowhere. It just showed up in the room one day. He goes, didn't know what to say. Now, if you take it on to the grander scale, that's exactly how illogical it sounds when you look at the universe and you look at the solar system and you say, well, how did this come to be? So, ah, it just appeared one day. Really? Who made it? Nobody. Are you kidding me? You look at the human body, you look at all of us and where we come from and how we are. Where do we come from? Oh, from a single cell amoeba. Really? The complexity that we have, the design, thoughts, feelings, emotions, love, all those things, all these systems working together in tandem and, and in harmony. You mean to tell me we, we just happenstance? It's illogical. It defies logic. So we consider as complex and living and animate beings, you know, they cannot come from simple non-living inanimate objects. In other words, to imagine that we as human beings came from the earth. Now, we did because God made us from the dust, right? But by itself, you look at the dust and the dirt and the rocks out there. 
how in the world could we logically imagine and come up with a conclusion that that earth formed us? It's like thinking that a bird came from a, from a rock. Is that possible? Of course not. And that's the point for us to, to consider that, that none of us who are living and alive, those who are animate, those who are living beings, could not have come from inanimate, non-living substance. Except that God created us so when he blew the breath of life inside of us. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. See, a man creates a computer, but a computer doesn't create a man. Computer, you, you design it with, with purpose and intent, and you can put it all together, and yet it's not going to, it's not going to create a man. At least not yet. <laughs> From what I read about artificial intelligence, but even artificial intelligence is artificial, that's why you say, by design. And it was man that designs it that way, not the computers. Now, who knows where it's going to go? I don't know how far God's going to allow this thing to go. I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember Daniel says that knowledge shall be on the increase. But you can see even today how scientists deny truth. To follow their own narrative, how far they're willing to go. And when they encounter the truth about creation and about life and the origin and source, how far will they go to deny that? Because it's in their best interest to do so, if you think about it. Because the moment you, you accept the fact that there's a God, then you automatically become accountable to Him. And that's the whole point. That's why so called scientists do not accept the truth, even if it was to hit them right on the nose, because the moment they do, they're going to say, I'm accountable, which we know we are. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But it's an advantage to know that. Thank you, Jesus. So the argument of design, teleology. Then there's the argument from being. It's ontologist, the nature of being. As we are, we could uh, we ask the question, how could a, a finite, limited, human mind even conceive of an infinite, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, and perfect God unless God imparted that concept inside of us. I mean, think about it. How could we even think about a God greater than us if God didn't plant it in us? Where would we get that thought? Every society in the history of mankind from the very beginning, from earliest times, has expressed a belief in a supreme being. And modern anthropological studies have shown and verified that the earliest religions were all monotheistic, one God believers. Polytheism came much later. One God. Everybody say one God. Then, of course, with this one God, there's the argument of morality. Every human child develops a conscience, and every human society has a sense of morality. Romans 2.15 tells us that there's a law written in their hearts, and their conscience also bears witness. Even in higher life forms like monkeys, I'm talking about higher life forms, not higher than man. I'm talking about higher than sheep and higher than cattle, you know, uh, uh, apes. But even in those life forms, those high life forms like monkeys, there's absolutely no evidence of any moral or spiritual element present in there. We see that they exhibit no need to search for God and no attempt to reach up and search for a higher being. There's no sense of shame, no sense of, of accountability, there's no sense of purpose. Only in man. How is that? Why is it only in human beings? Why don't apes go out there and build rockets and cities? Why don't they build houses? Why don't they teach math? I think some do. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. And no disrespect to math teach God. We got them. Hallelujah. I'm talking about this convoluted core, what common core. God have mercy. I speak as a teacher too, you know. I used to teach in public school, but not math. 
And if I did teach math, it would be, it would be the right way. Old school. Hallelujah. Come on now. Amen. I taught my son in homeschool too, and I still remember teaching him about positive and negative numbers. And I remember the day we sat in the house back there when he got the revelation on the laws of positive and negative numbers, how to do it. I'm telling you, it was, aha! It was one of the greatest moments of my life as a teacher. <laughs> Amen. And the reason is, he already tried, we already tried algebra twice, and he, and he couldn't do it. I said, okay, fine, we're not doing algebra for high school. I mean, we had to have, you know, four quarters, four credits for math. And, uh, and it was just, he was just not ready for it. So we did two years of general math, and then the last two years we did uh, consumer math and uh, one other kind of math similar to that, business math. You know what? It was the best thing that could have happened to him. Because I knew, well, number one, what it meant the requirements for graduation. But two, I knew that when he goes to college, he's going to have to meet this again. <laughs> and he'll be out of my class. <laughs> but anyway, but I remember when he was going to SWIC, and he was taking algebra, and fortunately he had a great teacher, a great teacher. And I'm, I have to tell you, uh, he would have to be a great teacher. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but Jonathan came home, and we're, <laughs> and we're sitting there at the table, and he's leaning back on the chair, you know. And, uh, and he asked a question. It came, came right back to positive and negative numbers again. <laughs> Hung up on the same problem three years later. Hallelujah. I said, oh, God, help me, you know. And uh, there I am. And I just, you know, as teachers, one of the things you have to learn, you got to repeat things. You have got to repeat things because for whatever reason, you got to repeat and eventually they'll catch on. But it's got to click. And it happened on that day. And I still remember to this day. And what a joy it was. Amen. So I know what I'm talking about. Okay, I've, but, but this new convoluted thing, common core, you can have it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But the bottom line is, where does this moral and spiritual element come from? It's not in any of the other animals. And not in any of the other life forms. It's only with us. Hallelujah. And that comes all down to the argument of morality. Well, we certainly didn't receive any of this from inanimate matter or from lower animals. We sure, certainly didn't learn our morality from monkeys. Hallelujah. It could only come from God, and that's deductive reasoning. And then there's the argument of congruity. It's agreement and harmony. It's, it's all these different components working together in harmony and agreement. And, and they jive, they align, and, they, and it just works perfectly like our bodies. Uh, and, and, and while critics may, may attack many of these different other components from their point of view and say, why it would be wrong, why they think something different. But when you take all of these arguments together, everything corresponds and agrees in harmony with the other. And that forms a compelling argument in favor of the existence of a God, an intelligent, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent God. That's why Christians believe in God. It is because of human reasoning. Praise God. Would you clap your hands on the Lord? Say hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm glad God gave us a brain. We just need to use it. Mm. Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say amen. amen. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Now, so human reasoning is the, is the first source of our belief in God, why we believe in God. Secondly, the Bible. The Bible is the second main source of Christians' faith in God. Now, we will study the Word of God, the Bible, in greater detail later on and a couple of lessons over. But for now, let's just say that the Bible contains information about who God is and not just that He exists. See what the Bible is so important? The Bible just doesn't say that God exists. It tells us who He is. You can't get that from science books. You can't get that from human reasoning. You can't get that from literature or from the Word of God, the Bible. Christianity's concept of 
the personality of God is based on revelation of his character and his actions all in the Bible. And what does the Bible say about God? Well, Genesis 101, that he created the world and human life. Everything. Everything. In fact, I was just reading a scripture today uh, that, that God created the world to be inhabited. That's why you look around all of the universe and all the solar systems around us and all the universe. You don't find any life anywhere else. Why? Because God didn't create those places to be inhabited. So guess what we're trying to do? We're trying to go to Mars, six months to travel there, six months to get back. And uh, there's no water, there's no tree, there's no rivers, there are no tree, uh, no animals, nothing, no life. And we're going to go populate another world. Really? Trying to play God all the time. We're just trying to play God, you know. I'm not saying not to go there, but man, they got this big idea to talk about this thing. Go for it. I'd rather go to the New Jerusalem. It's easy to get to New Jerusalem and get to Mars, Brother Jeff. And it's not as scary and not as risky. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But the Bible is the main source of our faith in God, that he exists and we see about his character. So he created the world and all human life. And then in John 3.16, we learn that God loves his creation, especially humans. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves his creation. And then 1 Peter 1.17 tells us that God will judge the world one day. And the New Living Translation says this in 1 Peter 1.17. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites when he judges. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners here on earth. See the mindset? We just kind of feel at home. Ah, oh, this is my home. No. Oh, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Remember that song? We're supposed to think like that. See why our, our forefathers sang those songs like that? To remind us. We're foreigners here. Not supposed to feel at home. Understand, this is where, this, this is where you make your grave, but not your home. This is not your place of eternity. Up there, somewhere, beyond the blue. Hopefully, if you're born again of the water and the spirit. But there will be a time of judgment. So walk reverently and fear of him. That's great respect. As you spend your time here down on earth as a foreigner. So, again, we say by human reasoning, we can come to know that there's a God who is greater than we are and greater than the world. But human reasoning cannot reveal to us God's character, His will, and purpose, or communication with us as human beings. Human reasoning cannot reveal to us God's character, will, and purpose. Neither His communication with us. Only the Bible does that. So we as Christians believe that only the Bible reveals to us all of the personal information about God or all of His attributes. See how important the Bible is? There's one other source of information about God that is clear and very important. Another source, one of the main sources about God, and that is Jesus Christ, God manifest in human form. Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, human form. Jesus presents the best picture of God's character and his will for our lives. There have been many countless books written about Jesus. 
But it's only the Bible that contains the eyewitness accounts of his birth and death and his resurrection. The Bible teaches that God, the creator of the universe, took on human form and entered this physical world that he created in order to reveal himself clearly and in a way that human beings could understand and relate to. What a loving, great God we have. We learn from Jesus that human beings, the human being is the Lord Jesus Christ. That one human being that God manifests himself in flesh and revealed himself to humanity. And if we examine the life of Christ, we're able to find things out about God that no other words in books or human reasoning can reveal. And one of the things we learn is that God has compassion on those who are weak. God has compassion on those who are weak. His kindness and compassion was repeatedly mentioned towards those who are sick, handicapped, had emotional problems, were failures in areas of morality and self-control. God was a God of love and compassion. He encouraged those who were poor or outcasts of society and were different culturally than the mainstream. And Jesus demonstrated a part of God's character in a way that could not be shown by creative power alone. All the things that God created does not show this nature, this aspect of Him, these attributes of Him as we see it in the life of Jesus Christ. Now you see why it's so important to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You learn more about God in those four books than in all the Old Testament. And how he relates to us, how he loves us, how he cares for us. And the way he had shown compassion to those that you read about in the Gospels is the same kind of love and compassion that he regards you with. Amen. Somebody said praise the Lord. And we see from the Gospels and from the life of Christ that God wants people to have eternal life with him. Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, the New Living Translation, uh, in the first line, it says, and this is the will of him that sent me. The New Living Translation says, says this, for this is my Father's will that sent me. That everyone which seeth the Son, the human form, believeth on Him, may have everlasting life. Jesus is the one that gives eternal life and no one else. Hallelujah. This help us to, helps us to focus on one religious leader in the world. There's nobody else that promises that. No one. Buddha doesn't. Allah doesn't. Muhammad doesn't. Taoism, Shintoism. None of those religions offer what Jesus Christ just offered. Believe on me and I'm going to give you eternal life. You're going to live with me. In fact, in the Quran, the word love isn't even mentioned. I'm not knocking. I'm just telling you facts. I'm telling you why we believe what we believe. I'd like to believe in a God like that. Hallelujah. I want to believe in a God that loves and is compassionate and caring. And cares about my hurts, my problems, my, my, my failures. And he's not judgmental. He came to save that which was lost. So looking to Jesus, it, it helps us to eliminate all the others. And get through all the smoke screen and get to the one who lived, who died, who rose again. And he's alive forevermore. The one who created everything in the universe. The one who's my God and my Savior. Jesus is the only one who promises and demonstrates that he has power over life and death. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Hallelujah. Notice it says no one comes by the Father. Why do you say Father and Jesus? Many times in the Bible you'll see, you know, uh, greetings from, from God the Father and even Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you why. In most of those letters, it's also to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles. Whenever Paul wrote by the Spirit and said God and the, uh, the Father and even the Lord Jesus Christ, is to keep in mind of those people of the day that the God 
that they're looking to. The God of the Old Testament is found in the face of Jesus Christ. That when they believe in Jesus, that when they call the name of Jesus to help, they are calling to help the God of the Old Testament, the Father of all creation, to put the two together. Amen. Not two beings, hallelujah, but two means of relationship. Hallelujah. The God who's the creator has become in Jesus Christ their redeemer, their savior. Amen. So this is what Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. No man comes to that invisible nature of God, to the Spirit, but through me. My flesh that shed blood for you and is not glorified for you as the firstborn of all living, those that are redeemed, those that are, 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 are raised from the dead, from human form. As you know, all human beings die. We die in, the, in, in our humanity. But we don't die permanently. We will be raised again. We are raised from this physical death. What a glorious hope. You die, so what? Praise God. We're going to be raised. We're going to be with him. Stand with me, if you will. Hallelujah. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The life. Jesus is the life. He said, no man cometh to the Father. You can't come to God unless you come to Jesus Christ that redemptive body. And finally, this passage in John 6, 40, that we read that I will raise him up at the last day. That term, last day, it shows us that there will be an end to time as we know it. I think you have that on your sheet too. There will be an end to the world and an end to time. A careful study of Jesus' life as you read the Gospels even more, will yield many more revelations to you about God, personal things that will be special just to you. And now we know a little bit more about why Christians believe in God, the Bible, and Jesus Christ. And I said the next time we're going to look at Christianity in comparison to other religions of the world. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you know the truth? I mean, the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a truth. All roads don't lead to heaven. Not everybody goes to heaven. Jesus said, broad is the way, and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Many there be that enter therein. But narrow is the way, straight is the gate that leadeth to life. And few there be, few that find it. I'm telling you, you're privileged. You and I are both privileged to know what we know and to know that we have based our faith on a firm, solid foundation of human reasoning that's logical, believable, acceptable, and most plausible than anything else. And we have the Bible, the inspired word on revelation from God himself, and we have Jesus Christ, God, who embodied himself in human form Allow us to relate to him a lot better than ever before. What an awesome God we say. What an awesome God we serve. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Sing me a song. Bring me a minstrel. Would you lift your hand and worship the Lord a minute? Ah, la, 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 la